Welcome in. It's the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, along with Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon. I'm Kevin Ingram. And Chris, I've done some research. Or actually, I haven't done any research on this, but I think this is <laughs> the first ever Leap Day podcast we've done. Today is February 29th. I don't know that we've ever recorded a show yeah, on this day. We, the, we, we may that. have, but uh, yeah. there, there's I only about... I think it's a safe assumption. Yeah, there might be a, a 25% chance we have before, but uh, it, it's a yeah. special day here on the show. What's going on? And no question. And, and it's also the day before March May. Madness officially begins. I think it began about two months ago uh, when conference play started. I was just thinking after the results of uh, our last podcast, there's never going to be an undefeated team in, in college basketball again. Uh, I, I don't think. I, I just think that uh, these power conferences are just they're, they're just going to be too strong and. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe a, a mid major could could go through their conference and their conference tournament un, unbeaten, but they're going to get knocked out in, in the in the NCAA's. We'll never see the likes of that '76 Indiana team again. I don't think. I, I don't think so either. I've thought it for years that uh, nobody could do it. Uh, you've had three teams basically come close. Gonzaga yep. almost did it a few years ago. Kentucky's 2015 team Kentucky. made it to the Final Four unbeaten, and then the UNLV team that that lost to Duke in the '91 Final Four. Uh, yeah. They came close as well, and and that. That was one of the greatest teams of all time. Uh, even though they lost to Duke in that Final Four, they had won it all the previous year when they just hammered Duke in the in the championship game in Denver. But, yeah, I, I don't think it can be done either, especially by a power conference team. Now, somebody like Gonzaga, that was probably the best shot for it to happen, like you're talking about where they, yeah. they, they rolled through the regular season, and they typically play a really strong non-conference schedule. But then they got to the tournament, they and they made a great run, made it all the way to the championship, but, but came up short. So, yeah, I think that's uh, something that's going to be really, really hard to ever accomplish again, going back to the, that 76 Indiana team that almost did it two years in a row. Yeah, I, and, you know, the, it, it really makes me have an appreciation for what Houston has been able to do this year. Uh, in switching from the American Athletic to, to the Big 12, they're number one in the country. They're leading that league. They're 25 and three. And except for adding LJ Cryer, who came from Baylor and obviously had some Big 12 experience, uh, uh, you know, behind him, uh, you know, it's not a team that's, I don't think, better than, than uh, Kelvin Sampson's previous two teams. But they're just, they've just got this lunch bucket mentality and, and, uh, you know, they go to work and they guard you. They're the number one defensive efficiency team in the country. And, and you know, they can score more than people think. And Jamal Shedd has really uh, upped his game as, as, a, as a leader, a point guard, and a guy that can go get you a basket. So what they've done to me is it might be the most impressive uh, season by a team, uh, not just an individual, but a team, so far this year yeah they're just really tough i mean that that's the one word that comes to mind when you watch houston play they just figure out ways to win and they're just uh they, they've been remarkably consistent over the course of their first season in the big 12 here uh you, you talk about individual performances though what about dalton connect of tennessee I, I feel like he almost has to be sec player of the year it had that amazing performance in tennessee's 92 84 win over auburn at home which was last night as we record this but he's done it over and over he's had multiple games where he's climbed way over 30 points he can shoot threes he's really strong he can drive and slam on people and uh he's been a complete difference maker for a tennessee team that when you compare all the the 
the really the core of excellent teams in that conference in the SEC. I feel like Tennessee's probably at the top of the heap when you look at them. And the Auburn team they played last night, Alabama is tied with Tennessee for first ahead of their big showdown. They're both 12-3. and three. You got South Carolina 11-4. and four. Kentucky, Florida, Auburn, all at ten and five. But I think Kentucky and Florida, are actually, or Kentucky and Auburn, I should say, are actually maybe a, a, a notch above those others, especially when they really play well. Exactly. Yeah, you know, Dalton Connect. Uh, he's he's one of the be- more intriguing stories in college basketball. You know, he came from Northern Colorado, and it was kind of an interesting story how he ended up there. I, you know, he had to go to JUCO at first, and and then when it came time to pick a. a a D1 school, it was COVID, and he didn't want to get too far away from his home. But the kid, uh, uh, Jimmy Dyke said this best. Uh, a uh, NBA uh, scout called him, and and he said, well, there's three types of kids. One that likes a ball, one that loves it, and one that's obsessed with it. And, and Dalton Connect is obsessed with basketball, he worked out from 10.30 to, to 12.30 a.m. the night before the game, and he was working specifically on shots that he felt like he would get in the game. And basically what they did for him, uh, they they sent all their people to the other th- three quarters of the court and let him have a, a, a lane to work people. And, I mean, they put everybody on him. Janai Broom took a turn on him, and he shot one over him. And then the next time he he drove around him, the thing that makes him so great. And I was I went to a, one of their practices in June, and I talked to Greg Polinski, who's one of Rick Barnes' assistants. He was obviously a, a, a coach in college, but for 19 years he was with with the NBA as as an executive player personnel guy. And and we were talking, and he said, "Look at the kid. He's built like a pro." You know he's got he's he's tall he's he's got wingspan he's got broad shoulders, uh, and what I noticed about him just in that practice, in watching tape of him the year before, his jump shot was sort of flat. But Rick believes Rick Barn believes in in uh, shooting a high ball, and the kid in two weeks had already changed his jump shot, and I even you know he came by and. and just kind of said hello to me, and, and I mentioned it to him. I, I said, man, I can't believe what you've done in two weeks. And and then, you know, if you're going to go somewhere to learn defense, you go to Houston or you go to Tennessee. That was his liability as a pro prospect. And now, you know, even in that game last night, it was overlooked. He got three steals, and his man, uh, Chad Baker-Mazzara, uh, only scored, what, uh, 13 points. Uh, and that kid had been dealing. So – What's amazing to me, though, is just that he he can score any way you want. You can't enforce him left or right because he's uh, ambidextrous. Uh, he's adept at, at uh, bouncing the ball off the glass with either hand, high, low, whatever way you want it. He can dunk on you any way you want. Uh, and, and he's a great jump shooter. And when he gets hot like he did last night, I mean, he just carried them. He scored – in the last 12 minutes, he scored 25 points and Auburn scored 21. Wow. I've never seen a display like this kid puts on. Uh, if he if he were there another year, uh, I'm sure they'd retire his number. They, they may <laughs> still. Uh, not many have been retired at Tennessee. Uh, I can almost name them off the top of my head, but uh, I can name them off the top of the head, but I'll spare you. Uh, he's a unique unique ball player 
And Tennessee's an outstanding team. And in, I've seen him in person twice. Vanderbilt's played him uh, in Knoxville and, and earlier at, in Nashville. And they just want to look like one of those teams that has all the pieces, all the things you need. They have a great score in Connect. They have a, an excellent point guard in Ziegler. They have a good big in and, Adu and, and, and guys off the bench. And then, you know, your your fourth and fifth options are guys who are 1,000-point scorers. But yeah, they used at, to be the man. Jaskoby and James. I mean, and, and they got you look at some, last some night, good pieces scored. coming off the bench, too. They're, they're really good. They scored two points each last night. And if you would have told me that those two scored two points each and and, and then uh, t- Tennessee was able to pull off a, what was it, 92-84 to 84 win, uh, unbelievable. But if you look at them now, they, they're so unselfish that they've adapted and they're just going to make winning plays. You know, Josiah Jordan-James had four blocks and six boards. Uh, Sania uh, v- Vescovy had a uh, Dalton had a rare miss and Vescovy just came out of the middle of nowhere down the lane rebounds the miss and puts it back up that's their role now they're not counted on to score but then J- James can get 26 and 12 like yeah. he he did somewhere the other day uh so it's it's interesting the configuration of that team now one of the wildest games uh, I've seen maybe this year or any year was the Kentucky-Alabama game going back to last weekend in Lexington. And Kentucky since then has escaped at Mississippi State thanks to some heroics by Reed Shepard, who might be the SEC freshman of the year. Oh, that, no. that game on Saturday, it was 117-95 to was the final. It was 58-42 Kentucky at half, so they, they scored 100 points combined in the first half. Alabama scored 95 points in that game, and at one point they were behind by 37 it was. It's hard to imagine an offensive display from two teams like that. It was crazy. Uh, and it was like they were just getting the ball out of the basket, running to the other end and, and putting up a three, and it was going in, and then the same thing back the other direction. But I, I thought for Kentucky, if, if they could play any defense, that was a frightening display of firepower for everybody else that they're going to face the rest of this season. You know, it's funny. Uh, one one game, you look at them and say, "My God, nobody can touch them on their way to the national championship." And the next game, you know, they they can't guard you or me uh-huh. and, and get beat. I saw an interesting graphic last night on the ESPN telecast of the Tennessee Auburn game. Jimmy Dykes uh, called it the Nate Oates effect, and uh, it, it it showed uh, the 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 team leaders in three point percentage. Last year, Missouri led the league at 35% uh, as a team. This year, that would be sixth in the league. And people, and I, and I, I talked about this w- with Rick Barnes last March. Uh, I said, Coach, in, in today's world, you got to have four dudes that can shoot high 30s to low 40s uh, from three. And he said, Man, I totally agree with you. And there was a time when he would not have thought that. And then, of course, other teams have followed suit, except for Bruce Pearl. He didn't have to be convinced about the three, but uh, it's become a, you know, a space and 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 shoot and and drive to the basket league. And man, you better you better be amped up. Tennessee plays at Alabama. Uh, they may need to get a bigger scoreboard or something <laughs> on Saturday. Yeah, uh, I, that's one I I wish I could get to, but I'm not going to be able to do it. But I'll watch it on TV, and, uh, man, it's kind of like what did Tom Hart call the game last night? Uh, Bristol Speedway. He was referring to a NASCAR race where it's just mm-hmm. up and down. 
And I, I'm more uh, liking it to tennis where, where your heads are bobbing back and forth as the ball goes across the net. Um, they're just running and getting it out of the basket. And I think it's an exciting brand of ball. I, I'm, I'm biased. I've covered the SEC my whole career. Uh, you know, obviously some national games too, but, but been in the SEC region my whole career. And, and this is the best it's looked to me. Uh, overall, I, I don't think they'll ultimately, and, and, and Joe Lenardi can tell us more about this, I don't think they'll ultimately get as many bids as, as say, the Big 12. But um, it's an exciting league to watch. Our guest this week is a guy that's joined us many times on our show. And, and Chris, I was thinking about this. You think of certain months and you associate people with those months, like December, it's Santa Claus, or October, it's Reggie Jackson. But March... <laughs> It's Joe Lenardi, the ESPN bracket expert, and he joins us now. Yep. What's going on, Joe? Well, I, Kevin, I appreciate that, and and maybe maybe more accurately, I, I I don't think I'm really worthy of a whole month. So it occurs to me that maybe one day every four years, like today, like Leap Day, is the perfect is like the, I, I think we should rename it from leap day to bracket day or bubble day or whatever you want to call it. And I'll only do this one day every four years. How's that? There you uh, go. Yeah. There, there's no day that's more on the bubble than, than February 29th, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's bubble that's day. You know what though, Joe, I was watching another SEC game last night. It was, uh, uh, Ole Miss, uh, was playing and uh one of the the color analysts uh said they've got to win tonight to get back into joe lenardi's good graces yeah because like i have a vote (laughs) yeah Yeah. so it's uh it's not like the ncaa committee's good graces it's joe lenardi's good graces so well i mean i I've, i've probably joked on this before uh and just random aside if i may so i i I've actually been listening pretty much to you guys all season. So, yes, I'm the one. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're just, wondering who that was. <laughs> I drive back and forth, you know, to a lot of and it I, I don't actually know how to subscribe and unsubscribe. It just comes up on my phone. Uh, perfect. And, and like. You guys are pretty good. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, it it can't be Dorch. <laughs> so it's gotta it's gotta freaking be it's an imposter <laughs> yeah and 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 then you know but i will say like you know i i think the occasional you know humor would be good and i'm happy to supply yeah no we we, we like to joke around a bit we we but, sometimes uh <laughs> do um uh spoiler filled recaps of star wars uh nice so well uh, but but like you talk about the you know the announcers joining it. So like one year I'm up here and it was probably a leap day, and my oldest who's now thirty calls Good me and Lord, says, "Dad, they kidding me." Yeah, how about that, Chris? Wow. Yeah, w- w- wedding in September. That's you awesome. Know, they don't tell you these things at pre-cana. <laughs> Not that I was really paying attention. <laughs> yeah. But 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 you know she'll be like, Dad. They changed your name again. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, you're according to. Because like on the bottom, <laughs> it, like every graphic, every in the bottom, according to Lenardi, according to Lenardi. And I'm like, 
like that's a lot of pressure it, you know it, it, it is but here's the thing i noticed this yesterday everybody and their brother has bracketology but dang it i was in the car with you when you invented the thing yeah, you're still right. you're still the baddest of the bad well I think. Uh, or I'm just the oldest of the old, right? Like you've got it down to a science. And my other daughter, like, Dad, you're the OG. And I'm like, you, is that a you good, are the is that good or bad? I don't yeah. know. No, I'm the original gangster, you know, <laughs> I, and here, here, here's the thing about it. You could be a one man uh, selection committee. And I think we've talked about this before. I think we both love the NCAA uh, tournament the same. But you love it in an entirely different way, a direction that I never would have thought of or, or could even do what you do. So hats off. I'm glad I'm your friend, and I appreciate you coming on with us twice a year. Well, likewise, fellas. And, uh, you know, we're just here to give CPR to Kevin, you know, because of his day job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll get through this. Yeah, um, we'll be hey, fine. Here's something I wanted to ask you. I could be wrong, but even as as, as early as your first appearance with us uh, this season, we were talking about the, the you know uh, the field and and how we thought it was fine where it is, but but you said you know it's liable to change. And then yesterday I see this piece where you've written eighty could be the number. Could you talk about that piece and and why you were compelled to write it? Uh, yeah, com compelled to write it mainly, guys, because I think the writing is on the wall. Yeah. Okay. Like, like if I were king of the world, like Joe Lenardi instead of Joey Brackets. Yep. I would go back to sixty-four teams. I would have minimum uh i'd have a tournament eligibility criteria of some kind to get rid of all the so-so teams from the power not all some yeah right because we'd be contracting and there'd be no play-ins and all the automatic qualifiers would go into the main bracket so that that said right from the jump now like it or not that's not the world that we live in okay and the reality is there are 80, 80 more Division One teams now than when the bracket first went to 64 teams in 1985. That's crazy. And, and it is crazy, but it's also reality. So there's more mouths to feed. Given that, and given that the expansion of the power conferences you know the sec's going to 16 next year the 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 acc is going to 18 the big 12 is going to 16 the big 10 is going to 105 or whatever it is right <laughs> like that yeah like like the these leagues are not expanding to get a fewer percentage of their teams in yeah right they're just not you know, because the only thing they want more than, you know, on average, 32 or 33 of the at-large bids every year is all of them. Yeah. Right? This is, this is America. This is Gordon Gecko. Greed is good. Right? It just is.
So all that being said, what is a way to accommodate the expansions, okay, and at the same time, make sure that we continue to recognize the reality that at the at least at the high end of the mid-major pool, right, there are teams that can win and can advance. And frankly, at least in the early rounds, draw eyeballs. And at the end of the day, we're kind of in the eyeball business or in the ear hole business. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then layer on top of that, the reality of the calendar, okay, which is the final four, the date of the final four each year is determined by when the Green Jackets of Augusta yeah. feel that the Azaleas will be in full bloom. And everything backs up from that. Okay, so some guy with fertilizer and miracle grow is telling us when to have the final four. And and I don't really care about like fine. I don't want May Madness anyway. Uh who does? Uh, so so ha- how do you do like these are all the masters that we're trying to feed. So a reasonable proposal. The first four model works. Put one in each region, which would be 12 additional teams, go to 80. I've modeled it on average. About eight of the extra teams will be power conferences, and about four will not be. And every time the tournament has expanded from the beginning of that largest in 1975, there's been a haves and a have-nots component. So that's where it comes from. And and because during COVID, we didn't know that year, there was some talk about having a bigger tournament, you know, because of the truncated regular season and all that. We did two months of bracketology with 96 teams. Wow. And I saw the teams that were 94, 95, and 96. And they're not good enough. Yeah. They're just not. So, like, I can give a crap ton of data on all that or you can just say you know what who really pays attention that far down the list maybe we should just believe it yeah so for now that's my story and i'm sticking to it and i'm starting to believe more and more that a it is going to expand and b it's not going to be 96 and i think the ultimate breaks on that keeping things on the rails it is going to be cbs turner because in 2011 in 2011 when the first four came to be the ncaa was ready to go to 96 then yeah to get their rights fee number and they were able to get to their number because tv said we don't need that many games yeah uh, and, and and the way it would have worked is imagine the first weekend would be six days of games instead of four, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And I, I think people just thought that was too much. And, and maybe someday it will be, 
Uh, I think more likely is whoever's in 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 my seat a generation from now. I think Division One will be smaller, and there will be contraction before we ever get that big. At least if if there's some, you, you know, if there are adults in the room. Joe, my question for you is about the Power Conference tournaments and what do they really mean? Unless you're a team that wasn't going to get in and, and you won the whole thing, like say you're in the SEC and you win four games in four days or five and five and you make it and you win the tournament. But for the other teams, and I, and I hear a lot of people saying, well, if, if they win one or two in the tournament, then that solidifies their, their spot in the NCAA tournament. I'm not so sure that that's really all that true. How do you view that? I think it varies from team to team. Kevin, but but in the aggregate, uh, I would tend to fall on your side of the of the fence there. Um, I think we've seen at least anecdotally over the years that those games kind of mean less and less, particularly as we get later into the weekend. Right. Uh, I mean, there's a human element here, right? Like, like. Like, let's get this over with. We got to pick our field. We got to go back to our lives and jobs mm-hmm. and wives and pets and, and all that. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Like, I think if they're playing games Sunday at 3 o'clock, well, and every game in in March and November count the same, we got to factor them all in. And they definitely don't seem to matter much in terms of seeding. I, I, right. I do think for selection uh that that that's an element and you know jay billis has been putting forth an idea for a few years that's not terrible which is pick the at-large fields at the end of the regular season and then let's just go play for a championship and bragging rights uh and the automatic bid right yeah in you know, because if you're Vanderbilt, like theoretically, you could still win the conference tournament. Think of it; it's like one thirty-fifth of a pizza, right? Like the pizza is cut into incredibly small slices. That's a and good. That may that that slice may have the most pepperoni on it. Yeah, in Kentucky, it ain't the whole pie. I've got one of those hair-splitting questions. A bunch of people I know, of course, you know where I live, have asked me about Tennessee uh, versus Arizona. Uh, If the season ended right now for that final number one. Mm -hmm. The the one thing that I've looked and I've tried to tell them is, all right, Arizona, Tennessee, pretty, pretty carefully... I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty evenly balanced, but non-conference strength of schedule, according to Ken Palm, Arizona 13, Tennessee 21. Is is that what gives, in, in situations like that, is that what gives that little uh, fine line difference uh, between, say, that fourth uh, number one and the team that's the first number two? Yeah, I, I don't think that's it. Uh, I mean, you, you know, they're getting close again. Yep. Uh, and they're going to get closer if both keep winning because Tennessee's wins are going to be better. Yeah. By and large, right? 
um, you know, last I, I haven't put in yes last night's numbers yet. Uh, but heading into last night, Tennessee was uh, five and five in quad one, and Arizona was seven and three. There you go. That 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 that's that's where it falls for those two. Now you might say, man, that's pretty. That's a one game either way by either team. Well, that's but it is how, what it is. Yeah, that's how close these things are. And and what I would say, and just as an aside, I was supposed to be at that game last night. Wow. And be at uh, big at the big orange club. Is that what they call it? And not. Yeah, yeah. I actually spoke to them earlier and they told me you were coming. Yep. 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 Well, my only goal was to do it and sell one more ticket than you did. But <laughs> um, I, you guys had like a blizzard in December or something. Yes. And their whole list of speakers got bumped by a week. And yep. I got bumped to a date I couldn't do. So yeah, that's too oh, bad. Oh well, uh, because let me tell you that barbecue at the Taste of Tennessee or whatever it's called is worth. Yeah, the trip. Calhoun's on the river. Oh man! Yeah. yeah, in fact, I think you took me there with Wallace. I, I did back I in did the back in the day. This all kind of happened, but like having said all that, uh, you know, I, I I would have asked the room yesterday had I been at the luncheon, would you rather be one in the West or two someplace closer? Yeah. Right, because really that's what we're talking about. Right. In in, in, in terms of on-court impact. Like, yeah, you see the one in front of your name and, you know, that's great. Uh, but, like, the goal here is to be playing in April. Right, like, Tennessee's done everything else you can do except that. Yeah. Uh so so I I don't know what what the answer is. Uh my 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 gut feeling is is that uh c- closer would probably be a, a a better outcome. And all I can really tell the Tennessee fans is they're going to be playing their first game on Thursday the 21st in Charlotte what region that's going to be in I have no idea we know where Gerald Lenardi is going to be for the uh, next few weeks and that's in the bunker in Bristol we really appreciate the time as always uh you're talking about the Masters this is a tradition unlike any other on our show to have Joe Lenardi join us thanks as always man (laughs) thanks Kevin thanks buddy appreciate it you got it well, that was the legendary ESPN bracketologist Joe Lenardi uh, joining us here on the Blue Ribbon Podcast. He and Chris go back a long way, and uh, it's been really cool to hear the stories about how it all really got rolling back in the day. And I think one thing that you guys are talking about there at the end is really interesting. When you talk about the difference between one and two seeds and and really doesn't make a whole lot of difference anymore. And to me, no. that's been the biggest difference in the NCAA tournament now versus, say, 25 years ago. Used to, if you're a one or a two seed, you had a pretty nice path to get to the second weekend. Now, it doesn't matter what seed you have. It's tough. Even, no. even the first-round games for the, the really high seeds have gotten way more difficult over the years. If you're not prepared, and we've seen it. I mean, we, we've seen Virginia and Purdue go down to 16 seeds. And, I mean, it almost happened in one legendary Day, I think it was 88 or 89, uh, East Tennessee State almost beat Oklahoma and Princeton 
almost beat uh was it georgetown mm-hmm. yeah georgetown uh, uh so that almost happened a long time ago but you're right in contemporary college basketball uh you got to strap it on uh for six games if you want to win the national championship and that's why i think and and i've told this to many coaches who, who i've spoken with uh just informally about what you have to have to win it all you got to be tough and tough-minded but you got to be able to shoot the daggone basketball. You've got to be able to shoot the basketball. Uh, and, and if you can't, you're going to get left in the dust. And uh, again, we talked about Dalton Connect earlier in the show. Last year, Tennessee loses that game at home by 15. This year, uh, they, they recruited a couple of shooters. Justin Ganey hit a, uh, Jordan Ganey, I mean, hit a shot big three and connect hit five big threes yeah so you you gotta have that you gotta have the firepower and and you, you gotta have uh mental toughness and physical toughness and that rim seems to get a little smaller as the uh, pressure <laughs> rises oh, in these tournament games no doubt about that real quick uh joe lenardi is his latest bracket and this is subject to change but his top seeds purdue and uconn and houston and arizona uh maybe not necessarily in that order has the big 12 with nine the sec with seven big 10 and mountain west six teams each and the big east and acc with five teams in the uh, latest joe lenardi bracket at es <clears throat> excuse me at espn.com so uh, we'll keep an eye on those things and of course it's always fun to visit with joe and he'll be very visible on your tv screens over the next few weeks especially a couple other things to talk about as we uh, put the finishing touches on this show what about the coaching carousel chris we've seen a couple names and a couple spots open up and you figure as the season starts to wrap up and especially as teams get eliminated from their conference tournaments and their seasons and we'll see more of this take place yeah no question it's the silly season as they call it uh, the portal is added to that uh ohio state first of all it looks like Sean Miller is is the guy uh, from everything that you read in here. Uh, Dusty May, and I don't know how you can do this, but somebody reported that he has already had preliminary conversations with Ohio State. He's, of course, uh, at Florida Atlantic and took them to the Final Four last year. I don't know how true that is, obviously. And I also hear that Lamont Paris at South Carolina um, the Gamecock brass are putting together a mammoth package to keep him hmm. because he's done an incredible job. The other name I heard there was Greg McDermott, but I think Creighton's uh, about to pony up for him too. Yeah, that's what happens is uh, the money starts flying to try to keep your guy where he is or to try to lure somebody from somewhere else. So, yeah, th- those things are really interesting. And, and Ohio State was really the, the biggest one that, that's out there so far. There have been a few. So far. But, uh, Chris Old Holden. Dominion is open, and, and because Jeff Jones retired for health reasons, that's a good job. Uh, I think the guy that's going to replace him is Mike Jones, not Mike Jones, the head coach at UNC uh, Greensboro. Mike Jones, the assistant at Maryland, who was also on the staff at Virginia Tech. Uh, before that, he led the Matha to a 511 and 119 record in 19 years. Uh, he played at Old Dominion. So that's your next coach at o- ODU. I'd almost bet the farm on it. 
As we finish up our show, I don't know that at the end of any of our uh, podcast radio shows that the, the court has been stormed, but it, it has happened, of course, lots of times, including most recently the Wake Forest-Duke game in Winston-Salem last Saturday, and Kyle Filipowski uh, got ran into it by a Wake Forest student. There was a lot of uh, conversation about what actually happened there, but uh, it was a scary scene, and uh, he was shaken up a bit, but has been okay and came back and played. But just watching all that go down and, and, and watching John Shire run out there and just try to you know, encir- yeah. encircle his players and get them off the court, especially Filipowski, uh, was a little uh, unsettling to watch. Everybody under the sun has had their own takes and all their own answers about where to go and how to fix this. I'm not sure where I really come down on it. I mean, they you can't just take your players off the court if even there's a remote chance that you can still tie the game like Duke had the other day. I mean, it was... It was basically over, but you never know something crazy could happen. You couldn't just pull your guys sure. off the court if you're John Shire. And to me, students are going to do what they're going to do um, unless you really bring out heavily armed police officers and, and ring the court, which I, I don't know that that's a good look either. There, there has to be some happy medium where you can figure out a way to make it less dangerous for the opposing teams and at least get their people off the court and, and out of the way before somebody really gets hurt. I was surprised to learn that the Atlantic Coast Conference does not have fines for court storming. Uh, contrast that to the SEC, which has 100K for the first offense, 250 for the second, and, and 500K for the third. Even in schools like theirs that print money, um, that's that's a significant j- chunk of change. I, I've seen some weird takes though, uh, like. Of course, people are always going to hot take behind the anonymity of social media. But some people say that Philip Powski brought it on himself, which is Fran Fraschilla said, if you believe that you need serious mental health. I've watched that tape over and over. He's a seven foot guy. He took a long stride. A kid tripped over him. He pushed, held his arms out to break his fall. And he had later said people were hitting him on the back. That's not true. One guy patted him on the back. I'm sure people were cussing him, but uh, like you said, the, the 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 kids were running out there with 0.7 seconds left. So it's just really hard to get ahead of that. But I know, like for example, on the Big 12 uh, 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 media conference on Monday, uh, people like Bill Self said, "Let's get rid of it totally," and. You know, the athletic director at, at Alabama went so far as, as uh, saying that he thinks teams should have to forfeit in a scenario like that. So maybe if the deal is, hey, if you come out here, we forfeit this win, uh, maybe that's it. Uh, I think it's – you hate to take away the exuberance of college kids and, and the importance of the moment, but I'll, I've always been of the mind, act like you've been there before. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, we beat Duke. So what? Uh, next, you know, and but but I just think you know we've seen it this year. Caitlin Clark got mowed down. Uh, uh, Filipowski, both of them are going to be high draft picks in their respective uh, professional leagues. And had those two been hurt and, and seriously injured, and and perhaps their livelihoods threatened, I mean that's just terrible. So it's it's scary. I, I've been. And another take I, I read where, where they where somebody said, and a really professional and, and longtime basketball writer said, well, maybe you have a way to take the players off. And, and I responded, 
to him on Twitter. I, I said, yeah, that's the players, but what about the stats crew? What about the radio crew? What about the press? I had a laptop stomped on once during a, a, yeah. a, a core storm. Luckily, I knew it was coming. I shut the laptop. It didn't get ruined. Uh, but, but yeah, that's scary. So I don't know. I don't know what the, the solution is, but but maybe forfeiture is 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 it? And it feels or the dog fence, you know the kind. <laughs> yeah, the dogs. Yeah, that, that might be a little over the top. <laughs> it could be. This is this is gonna this is gonna be a slight sting. Yeah, exactly. You hand out wristbands or something when you, you come through the gate. I, I, I don't. I don't really know what the. I don't know how to fix that one because oh. if you have a thousand students that want to run out there and, and no matter how many people you have to try to keep them off holding up a yellow rope, it ain't going to do a whole lot of good. Yeah, I've, yellow I've rope a lot of these things. is not the answer. No, yellow rope is typically yeah. not the uh, answer. Nobody has sees that. That's like raving a, waving a, a red towel in front of a bull or whatever. <laughs> That's right. That ain't stopping you. Chris, always a lot of fun to do our podcast. Uh, of course, uh, the calendar is about to flip to March, which is always the best time of year for college basketball. Always appreciate it, man. Uh, same, and I look forward to, to hanging with you at the SEC tournament in a couple of weeks. Yep, it'll be here before you know it. He's Chris Dorch. Right. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is a Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.